it's boots on the ground, but it's not boots on the ground that you hire, right? It's hard to imagine from your computer in New Zealand when you're there in market, you really fully appreciate how big Americans think, and it's really inspiring. Looking at raising capital or taking your business from Aotearoa to the world? You're in the right place. Make your mahi count with Investment Fix. Brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Kia ora. I'm Dylan Lawrence, General Manager of Investment at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. In 2022, I was lucky enough to join NZTE and a group of investors on Te Wakahaurua, an expedition to the US to explore the opportunities that exist beyond the traditional business hotspots of America's West Coast. We saw firsthand the amazingly collaborative tech ecosystem that exists in central and eastern parts of the states and came away feeling really inspired about the opportunities that exist for New Zealand companies there. With me on this trip were two of Aotearoa's top tech investors, Nadine Hill of Punakaiki Fund and Angus Blair of Outset Ventures. In this episode of The Investment Fix, they share their insights into building a business and approaching investors in the US and where they see the potential for Kiwi tech companies looking to enter the market. Welcome Angus, welcome Nadine. Good to see you Dylan. Great to see you Dylan, thank you for having us. Nadine, you work for one of the top New Zealand growth funds with a pretty strong tech focus. Can you start by giving us a quick 101 around your firm and the types of businesses that you work with? Sure. Punakaiki has been around since 2014. It was started by Lance Wiggs and Chris Humphreys. It's now a $100 million fund. It did start at $1.5 million in the very beginning. We invest in high-growth tech companies. We tend to look for businesses that develop business-critical products that can dominate a global niche. And we invest in a particular type of founder, one that's super ambitious, passionate about their mission, and ideally have technical expertise from the sector that their startup has originated from. We've also got a clean tech fund that invests in companies that can measurably reduce carbon emissions in a way that's validated by experts from the sector. We've had some great exits such as Moxie and Vend and Timely and we're really excited about the other 17 companies in our core portfolio at the moment. How many companies have you got operating and doing business in the US? Most of them are Quantify, Whip Around, Project Works, Cool Schedule. I would say at least three quarters of them. And Angus, Outset Ventures. It's not just a technology investor, it's a bit more than that. Can you tell us a bit about that? We're a pre seed and seed deep tech investor. We invest at the very early stage in Adams, not bits, across a broad range of industries from aerospace to future food, biotech to industrial chemistry. And though we invest across the country, we also run four and a half thousand square meters of lab and engineering space focused on those early stage ventures here in Auckland. This is quite a famous building, previously the home of the Department of Scientific Industrial Research, private owners now, but it's also the birthplace of well-known New Zealand companies like Rocket Lab and Lanza Tech. And the founders of both of those also sit on the board and investment committees and announced ventures. Fantastic. You both joined NZT on our Te Wakahaurua expedition to the US last year in 2022. For me, it was such a great experience and I came away feeling very inspired, very excited about the opportunities for New Zealand businesses over there. So today I'm really keen to get both of your insights from that trip, as well as any advice you have for Kiwi businesses looking to enter or get investment from the US. Plenty to cover. 
Angus, I might start with you. One of the things that came through really strongly for me is there's so much more to the US than the West Coast. You spent some time on the East and the Central. What do you see as the opportunities or pockets of excellence that sit in these areas? It's the same thing that's always existed on the West Coast as well, just sort of more of it, right? So access to customers, capital and talent. The Southwest of the United States, so you know Texas, Colorado, particularly well suited to a deep tech portfolio as well. So basically you've got a concentration of energy, manufacturing, defense, and aerospace. You've got great universities and growing pools of talent, further enhanced by migration from the coast as well. And generally you've got a lower cost of living, but still access to that great talent and the capital pools on the coast as well. And Nadine, is there anything you'd like to add, I guess, in terms of those opportunities that you saw for New Zealand businesses in those places? Probably the depth and the density of those ecosystems, like clean tech and aerospace over there, have just got a really well-built-up sector. They've got four or five research institutes purely dedicated to those specific sectors with big corporations, plenty of startups, plenty of engineers and scientists, just on a scale that's hard to imagine from New Zealand and are blown away by how advanced they were and how much they collaborate and work together. It really surprised me when I heard that Denver had more New Zealand companies than any other city in the US. But after going there, it makes perfect sense as well, right? Denver has a similar size commerce to Auckland, similar size city. It's got the similar art and beer and film culture that Wellington has. And it's all kind of wrapped up with the outdoor adventure lifestyle of Queenstown. Three really great attributes of New Zealand, all placed into a state that's a pretty similar size to New Zealand, but in a lot of ways just really resonates with what Kiwis really like and how we like to live as well. A hundred percent. And all of us felt like we could live there. We could easily live in Denver and have this massive amount of opportunities that isn't necessarily accessible to us when we're back in New Zealand. Building on that clean tech theme that you were touching on, Nadine, I know you're both passionate about tech that's good for the world. Angus, clean tech's an area that's really progressed in the US and it's also an area of strength of New Zealand's tech industry. How do you think our clean tech businesses can leverage this opportunity? It's about getting on the ground earlier and finding the right partners in that market. So one of the things that's really effective there is they have NREL, which is like if you combined Outset Ventures with Callahan's Gracefield and gave it a $5 billion a year budget, you end up with a facility of this sort of scale where any startup in New Zealand, whether it's working in hydrogen or microgrids, has got to find bespoke facilities for testing their technology at commercially relevant scales. And then that facility also has really fantastic partnerships with all of industry. And so there's really significant funding to aid in that research for early stage companies and all done on really startup friendly terms as well. It isn't about going there and you're giving away a big chunk of your business to get access to this market. They're there to support the best technologies so they can get the market and be based there and have investment in the region as well. What areas of clean tech of particular interest do you think and how can New Zealand businesses tap into that? I think there'll be a lot of winners in clean tech and there's a lot of areas in which you can contribute. I'd like to see us chasing greener industrial processes where we already have onshore capability, so, you know, bringing hydrogen and electrification to those sorts of processes as an example. We have to be masters of our food system as well and recognize that pastoral farming isn't something that we can bet the economy on over the long term. And if we don't disrupt the core of our own economy, then venture-backed startups from the US are certainly going to try to. So it should be ourselves disrupting ourselves as well. And just building on that, what New Zealand companies need to do is find where the gaps are. If we're talking about renewable energy, is it 
renewable energy storage or energy efficiency or grid integration, where are our technologies going to fill the gaps? We're not necessarily best place to build the infrastructure that they have the capital to do, but where's the gaps that we can fill really well and play into that ecosystem? I think what they do really well is take this ecosystem approach and think about who partners with who and how we can best achieve the ultimate outcome. And New Zealand companies just need to think about how we fit it into those ecosystems. You're right. The U.S. takes a real ecosystem approach to how they think about it. And Denver and Colorado is a great example of that with the Renewable Energy Centre. There's a great deal of collaboration between government, founders and investors. We're seeing the science and R&D sitting over there and they're all wrapping around each other, incubating some pretty amazing technology and the investors are in the thick of it. What are your thoughts on this and how might New Zealand learn from it? It's probably more engagement with industry and customers. I feel like a lot of the time when we're getting together, it's great having a lot of government and investors and startups in the room. But what the real difference that I saw there was that industry was right there with early stage companies. And I think New Zealand industry wants to do that as well. We're just not necessarily great at all getting in the room together and making those connections more readily. And that's something I think that we could definitely embrace more. And I think they really recognise that we can all do well. Just the way the public and private partnerships are designed, the equity stakes that the government institutions takes in startups, for instance, are less than 10%, where here they tend to be more. So just really focusing on what those outcomes are and how we can all collaborate and create an ecosystem to best achieve that, rather than how we can individually get the most out of the venture for our own purposes. When we were in Colorado, we spent a bit of time looking at the area of space, advanced aviation. Any sort of insights or reflections from that? CU Boulder does $100 million a year and work for the aerospace sector, building actual spacecraft. There's a billion-dollar business inside the university doing that kind of work. And it's really cool to see that emergent property coming through in New Zealand as well. This has been a heap of investment at Auckland University in this regard as well. So there's a national satellite testing facility there that shows the ambition for New Zealand companies to be able to build an aerospace industry here. We've got facilities to support it. Obviously, we've got sort of industry leader in Rocket Lab as well. It's been very generous to those early stage startups. But to see that growing across particularly Christchurch and Auckland has been really fantastic. And I really noticed there's some areas that still need to be developed, cost-effective launch systems, autonomous operations, communication strategies. There's a lot of areas that we have particular people in New Zealand can really develop that. The bigger plays like the Rocket Lab plays do require more capital, but there's the more niche applications that New Zealand companies can double down on. And we didn't mention the overall security, defence tech, cyber security. Protecting infrastructure and critical assets is a massive focus for not just the US, but Australia and a lot of other countries. The New Zealand businesses have an advantage when it comes to doing business in the US. On the defence side, it's certainly really valuable that we're part of the Five Eyes Network and it means that anyone who's working on technologies, you know, whether defence applications or not, if they fall into dual-use categories then the US is a really safe market for us to be working with. And that comes up a lot in deep tech, comes up a lot in energy. And so from that point of view, it's a very safe market for us to be taking these sorts of critical technologies to. I think we're an easy country to develop solutions with. Our regulatory environments, the closeness that we work with government, the trust that we have makes us a really good partner. 
I often hear the phrase, we're a sandbox. And the US has got the scale and the market and the partners for collaboration, but not many places in the world can you have this amazing sandbox to create innovation that is solving global solutions. So interesting concept. How important is it for a New Zealand company to be seen as a global business before getting into these parts of the world and seeking investment? Essential. We have to be global businesses and be able to dominate our niche or our application. I would encourage companies to come into the US at the very beginning, even before they've built their product, just to get a sense of that outlook and who's playing where and the size of the opportunity and the size of the players. It's hard to imagine from your computer in New Zealand when you're there in market, you really fully appreciate how big Americans think, and that's really inspiring. You look at Stanford University and those universities, and you understand why so many startups originate out of them, because there's a culture that thinks really ambitiously and collaborates together. And I think being around those sort of people and those sort of businesses encourages us to think bigger and better. Angus, how can these New Zealand companies tap into this ecosystem, build this network, get the right partnerships or connections in place? It's boots on the ground, but it's not boots on the ground that you hire, right? It's a big mistake to go and hire a really expensive salesperson on the ground and think that that's how you're going to get to the market knowledge. I think particularly for early stage tech companies, like basically the CEO's job to get on the ground and get a market. There's lots of Kiwis there that want to support you. There's entity there to support you. If you show up, you're going to be able to find your way to all the right sort of partnerships there. And there's lots of events and forums as well. There's lots of things that you can attend and people that are willing to help you. And even just going to the trade fairs and demonstrating your technology, if you've got a really good value proposition and it's a good enough business, you're going to get attention. Nadine, you've said previously that New Zealand export businesses can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. What do you mean by this? If we try and be everything to everyone, we're going to be very general and go wide. You need to be really focused on your value proposition and your niche to do it well, especially with the amount of capital and resources that we've got. And then once you're big and you've nailed that niche, you then can go wider. You build a level of defensibility by building your product and your proposition around a smaller, narrowed niche. would be remiss of me not to talk about the B2B SaaS solutions that we've developed. We've got amazing companies. Needs whip around, Lawview, Aurora, that are very focused on their vertical, on their niche. And I think Project Works is a really good example of that. It's got project management software, which is quite a general category, but it's very focused on doing it for engineers, architects, and consultants. So three really narrow verticals, and they've produced their software that's perfect for those various categories, that rather than trying to be a big player that's trying to do it for everybody. And that's how they get defensibility and scale. There's a playbook that other New Zealand companies can use about how to go to market in the US with a B2B SaaS solution. And we're pretty good at it. I wouldn't want to leave that out of the conversation for the sexier climate tech and space tech conversation. Good on you. Champion of the B2B SaaS. I love it. <laughs> the opportunities in the US are massive, right? They're just massive. And the companies in New Zealand, to your point earlier, often without getting into market and seeing these opportunities, set their sites too small. So how do they pitch this niche concept at a global level rather than a local level? By being with the big players. And I'll take ProjectWorks as another 
example, they're a little Kiwi company. How do we tackle the US? And so they've developed a partnership with QuickBooks, which is one of the biggest accounting software players in the US and are now one of their preferred players fully integrated with QuickBooks. So there's no friction when customers use the two of them together and are in their marketplaces and app stores. So the ability to go to market with QuickBooks is so much bigger than when you're trying to do it on your own. So I think for Kiwi companies, they've got to think about who they're going to partner with and how they're going to attack the US state by state or with big partners. You know, you've got to have a real game plan. New Zealand companies are not going to be able to do it on their own resources. Go to market is separate from the fundraising question, right? And like I agree with Nadine 100% on go to market and how to build the defensibility. The other reason that people are going to the US is to raise capital. And there we definitely have this issue of not being ambitious enough. When I meet founders, they're going to grow their business and they're going to scale themselves to be a leader of that business. But you have to count on their ambition also scaling over time as well. Like in New Zealand, people need permission to express the most ambitious version of their ideas. It's in them, but it doesn't feel like something that is okay to articulate. To raise capital in the US from VCs, you have to be willing to articulate the most ambitious version of your vision. And that's not something that I think comes naturally to most Kiwi founders, but that you have to do. And to be honest, more and more so you have to do it in New Zealand. I think there's a VC in New Zealand that's not looking to hear the most ambitious version of the pitches that they're getting. 100% agree, so that ambitious pitch, but backed by a detailed plan. There's got to be substance under it, which can be validated to investors. Nice. I want to talk about the investment dynamic between the New Zealand investors, the US investors. How do you think they can work together or do work together to get the most impact or growth acceleration for New Zealand tech businesses? We're seeing a few funds that are coming to New Zealand, often not the lead, but just to be like an active co-investor as a way of A, being an early and getting to know these, know these companies more, but also just as deal flow for larger checks at a later stage. The natural default is that companies in New Zealand will be able to raise their pre-seed through to you know potentially Series B these days. And then we'll look to either bring in co-leads or lead investors from offshore markets, a lot from Australia and more and more from the US. That's kind of the natural pathway, but I think we'll end up seeing lead investments at early stages from US funds and New Zealand as well. And we'll also see a maturing New Zealand VC ecosystem that will be able to go a further distance. And I think that's good too. You can have any number of partnerships to win in the US markets, but that can be a really beneficial way to get better access to capital up there. Good point. So when companies are thinking about capital planning and planning for their rounds, Nadine, what's the benefit for a New Zealand business to get a New Zealand VC fund on the table early before seeking US investment? I think you get the benefits of that fund, like a Puna Kaiki or Outset Ventures, helps you with that capital journey can connect you in with the US VCs and Australian VCs and UK VCs and help you develop that relationship. Warm introductions are so much easier than cold introductions and that support and knowledge in terms of what the funding round will look like. Like I think of the last funding round that Quantify Photonics did and that was led by Intel Capital out of the US that Puna Kaiki and the other investors sat beside quantify to help them understand how to structure that and give them advice on the terms, etc. So it's not just such a power imbalance in a one-way street. That's a fantastic example of how a VC firm can help getting that US investor because there can be power imbalances as you're going to market. 
Warm introductions are so important. Is there anything else, Angus, that a New Zealand VC firm can do to help get the right US investor later on? My initial thought is that's basically what VCs are most suited to help with, is to be on that capital journey. I think the joke goes that we ask all our portfolio companies how we could best support them, and the answer turned out to be money. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, in all seriousness, like all VCs are trying to add as much sort of value as they can. The main thing that we can do to help is to make sure that we are setting these companies up as investable entities. One of the ways that you could make a mistake in that area is not thinking that founder ownership is as important as it is, particularly for deep tech companies where there's a long pathway to being revenue generated. You're generally not being valued off your cash flows, right? That's generally a pretty long way in the distance. And so founder ownership tends to be really, really important. When we're investing in New Zealand, if we think it's going to be a particularly capital intensive project and it's going to be seeking sophisticated investors, whether it's from the US or Australia or, or Europe, you need to make sure there's still substantial founder ownership as they enter that market. And so as such, you need to think about that when you're valuing a company for its earlier investment rounds as well. Fantastic. And one of the big pieces of feedback I've got from US investors when they're looking at deals and opportunities is having a New Zealand investor on the cap table gives them confidence that there's that intimate knowledge in the New Zealand market that's putting money into there. They're willing to follow that. And they also like to see that someone on the ground can go and meet management on a daily basis if something were to happen. So there's a couple of pieces of feedback I've received over the years about why that dynamic between the New Zealand investment community and the US investment community is actually quite symbiotic. And I think too, Dylan, in terms of being investment ready, which I know NZT does a great job with, particularly with metrics and product strategy and you go to market strategy, often businesses in New Zealand, particularly in the early stage, are quite light on those types of aspects of their investment readiness. And I think a VC and NZTE, of course, really can help. Hey Nadine, after years of sitting in your bedroom, connecting to companies and investors over Zoom, what difference do you think it makes to have face-to-face interactions with US investors? I was thinking about that, Dylan. After all the different calls I've had, all the investors that I met, some on Zoom and some face-to-face, the ones I remember are the ones that I meet face-to-face. I think you just have a much wider conversation. It's a more intimate conversation. What you discuss is more than just that question and answer. And there's a connection piece that happens that's not just verbal. There's a real benefit in that relationship building and being memorable. (laughs) Angus, how important is it for a New Zealand business to actually get into market if they want to grow in the US? It's essential, right? You can exchange information over Zoom, but you can't really build trust. And trust is always going to be at the core of your most important partnerships. And you build trust by being there in person, particularly when it comes to capital raising for deep tech ventures. Everyone's scared that they're talking to a Theranos. You need to actually get on the ground and go and see if the wireless power transmission systems actually plugged in on both sides and those sorts of things. And we're seeing US investors get on the ground here as well to do the same as part of diligence. It's the two-way street, go and build some trust and get on the ground. How well recognized do you think the New Zealand brand is in the US? I think it's still TV, food and ag. But I think everyone's very open to learning more about what areas of excellence we're bringing to market. There's no judgment that sounds too complex to come out of New Zealand or that's too ambitious to build that kind of company from down there. There's very much a readiness to believe that something exceptional can come out of New Zealand on that science and engineering front. How can New Zealand businesses leverage this brand to build their own and grow their own presence in the US? 
there are really smart answers for consumer goods. I don't think there really are in deep tech. You still have to stand on the merits of the technology, the people and the market, just like everyone else. Internally, however, I think it can be a really valuable part of organizational culture. So our ventures are here, not just to impact global markets, but also to transform the New Zealand economy and sort of our way of life here as well. So I think that sort of internal New Zealand brand and focus can be a really valuable asset from a company culture perspective. And how you've got on your team, right? When we showed up into market, Dylan, we had this really diverse team with three awesome Maori leaders and embraced the Maori culture within our tour. And I think we really stood out and obtained mana from doing that. So how you incorporate Maori culture and heritage and our innovation and how we present and connect with market makes us memorable and differentiates us from others. That sustainability, long-term focus, we have to have the product and innovation behind it. But I think that culture aspect really differentiates us and people do care about that. It's not everything, but it is a really important part. I think there's a way that Kiwis or New Zealanders go about business and, and offshore markets that is a little bit infectious. I was told once that everyone gets a first meeting once in the US. For some reason, Kiwis get a first meeting twice. <laughs> hey, I want to finish with some advice from both of you. For all those listening out there that are thinking about the US as a market either of growth or for raising capital, what would your one piece of advice for them be? Be really ambitious. <laughs> if you want to succeed in this market, you need to be really big. Get into the market early with a big ambitious thought and continue to evolve your product and aspirations in that market. Awesome. And Angus, how about you? One piece of advice. Go in person and go earlier than you think you need to. Probably about six months earlier if I was the guest. Such great advice. Go in person, go early and go big. That was such a fantastic session, guys. We've learned so much about the scale of the opportunity in the US for Kiwi tech companies, how to enter the market, and the importance of getting there in person. Thanks so much, Nadine. Angus, really appreciate your time today. This podcast was brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Visit us at investnewzealand.nz or follow us on LinkedIn for more tools and resources to help you on your way with raising capital.